12 through 26. You can follow along on the screen, but we do encourage everyone to bring Bibles with them to church. Give the kids a chance to get going and their parents to get their Bibles open. All right. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do it so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am going to if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for, for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. This is God's word. Let's pray. Almighty God, we just ask you to open our hearts to understand these very interesting words this, in this life of Paul. We pray for the, what we will hear from Kyle this morning, that you would inspire both his speaking and our listening so that we can know you better. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. <clears throat> so good to be with you all this morning on the Lord's Day um, as we celebrate his death, resurrection, and soon return. Um, Christ is coming quickly. Amen. He is coming back. And it's just exciting to think that the day of Christ is soon upon us. I, um, I think I might be getting a little feedback. I don't know if the gain is too high on this, but um, I'm not sure it's the volume. It might just be the gain. So um, that's all confusing to all of us, right? <laughs> um, I'm just so excited to, to be in this passage of Scripture with you all this morning. And um, now I feel like you turned it off. Is it? No, you can hear me? Okay. Um, I'm excited to be in this passage of Scripture. This is such a loaded um, passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 1, as you can tell, and 
just kind of unpacking it and studying it um, has kind of caused me to think that I think the best thing to do is to go through the whole thing, kind of take a, a bird's eye look at this, at this section of scripture, and then in the weeks to come to kind of go back and deal with, I guess, smaller chunks of it so that we can um, look at it more fully. So maybe perhaps this morning, as, as you paid attention to the reading of God's word, um, questions might have arisen or certain phrases stuck out that we might not get to um, this morning because, again, I'm taking a bird's eye look at it. But we're going to go back to it and just enjoy just the, the, the food of God's word as it nourishes us and equips us and grows us in Christ. Amen? Amen. So it's so good to see you and be with you all. Um, as, as was said already, we're excited about our upcoming um, outreach. Uh, we, we do this not to, to eat food, hang out, and watch movies. We do this to share Jesus Christ with people. We're going to have an opportunity to pass out Bibles and pray with people and preach the gospel, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but we are showing the, the Wizard of Oz, and in honor of the Wizard of Oz and of the sermon, um, I have this to say. What makes a king out of a slave? Come on, you know. Courage. There you go. What makes the flag on the mast to wave? Courage. What makes the elephant charge his tusk in the misty mist or the dusky dusk? Oh, that's not good. Louder. What makes the muskrat guard his musk? Courage. What makes the sphinx the seventh wonder? Thank you. What makes the dawn come up like thunder? What makes the hot and tot so hot? What makes that? Who puts the ape in apricot? <laughs> what do they got that I ain't got? Sure. You got that right. <laughs> Say that again. Right. You know, as we kind of consider the words of the cowardly lion trying to find his courage, we look at this towering figure, the Apostle Paul, and ask, where did he get his from? How did he have so much resolve and so much character and so much joy in the face of such harrowing events. One author commented about our biblical text, not on the cowardly lion, um, that we find here something more than extracts from the diary of a fascinating man. This is an example of true Christian living. This is a statement of principle for the guidance of the saints. As you comb through this passage of scripture, you should ask, is is this where my life is headed? Is the attitude of my heart developing into what I see put into words in Scripture? This is really Paul's testimony about his heart. It's where he gets his power for joy, his strength, the source, the source of his courage. It's a vision, friends, of what can happen to us when we are filled with all the fullness of Jesus Christ. And you know, the scriptures say that the job of the pastor, my job, the, of the elders in this church, is to form you all into the fullness of Christ. Faith in the face of trouble is what he exhibited. Joy in the face of misery. Love in the face of injustice. Characterized this man as he was chained to a prison guard. Dr. J. Moyer identified three excellent divisions of this passage of Scripture that outline his testimony, dealing with Paul's past, Paul's present, and Paul's future. And that's what we're going to take a look at this morning as we take a snapshot 
of verses 12 through 26 in chapter 1. So let's examine this really interesting and powerful man's stirring testimony, and let's take a look at his past. Verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Up until this point, Paul is greeting them and thanking God for them and their friendship and whatnot. But Paul has been through a lot. Paul, um, being dear friends with the Philippian church, has gone through a a series of unfortunate events. Um, And now he's in this place where people are wondering what's happening to Paul. So Paul, in this statement, is announcing a unifying principle of his whole life. The the rubric by which to understand his power for joy, his power for confidence and courage in Jesus Christ. How he can demonstrate such compassion in the face of injustice. Patience when wronged. His secret is buried somewhat in this chapter. He explains this with the words, what has happened to me? I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has actually served the spread of the gospel. We're tuned into the seriousness of what Paul's about to say because he begins with the words, I want you to know brothers and sisters. Paul uses this throughout his letters almost as a way to say, please pay attention because this is very important what I'm about to say. So he says, brothers and sisters, I want you to know something. What actually has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Now what has happened to you, friends, in life? Have you been disappointed by something? Have you been hurt? Have you been lost? Have you lost? Perhaps you're single or lonely or sick. Things happen to us in life, don't they? Hard things, difficult things. Arguments with husbands or wives, divorce. Things happen to us and they sting, and they're difficult, and we try to make sense of it all. We think, at times, that there's this force outside controlling or moving us, denying us, providing for us, or maybe even hurting us. Something is happening to us. The, The word just kind of invites this suspicion that it's outside of our control. What happens to to me? So I didn't choose this way of life. I didn't decide to go down this road. It happens to me. And we all have things happen to us, don't we? Sometimes great things. Sometimes we get new jobs or sometimes we have children or we get married and things are great. But other times things happen to us that we would just prefer never did. So if this happening hurts, we find occasion for perpetual bitterness or anger or sorrow. And I think we've all been there. But for Paul, there's an actually. I want you to notice that. What has happened to me has actually. It seems like this, but it's actually that. And friends, here is a powerful statement. But first, let's look at what happened to Paul. We think we got it rough, and sometimes we do. So let's not diminish that. But let's look at Paul. Skim through the book of Acts and see, what did Paul mean by happened to me? Well, let's examine it. He was slandered. He was nearly lynched by several mobs, barely escaped a Roman flogging, imprisoned. 
given a mock trial, shamed and degraded, had threats on his life, and was arrested and imprisoned and kept in prison for years. Dr. Mortier, the one who provided our outline, says this, the deceit, malpractice, and vilification that surrounded him was beyond belief. Yet he looks back and asserts, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And in this, I rejoice again, I say rejoice. We can <clears throat> almost kind of hear the echo of Joseph's words. You remember his words. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. But wait, there's more. <laughs> there's more that happened to Paul. He endured, uh, th this isn't it, it's not over yet. He endured a prolonged trial in a storm at sea. You remember this? where he was shipwrecked, sent to Rome, and people were, were afraid for his life. He was condemned and imprisoned for two years, shackled in chains to prison guards and walls, awaiting a sentence, possibly death from Roman rule, that cared nothing about him or where he was from. Friends, this is Paul's situation. This is what happened to him. Moitier continues, Nevertheless, still imprisoned, still chained, still unheard, still uncertain, he looks back and he declares, What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Isn't that incredible, friends? Because at times in life, aren't we unheard? At times in life, don't we have a sort of chain, a sort of injustice? that comes upon us because of the sin of one or many. Oh, but this word actually is a pro powerfully profound word. What has happened to me has actually <clears throat> served to advance the gospel. It reveals his rule, his rubric, his believed narrative that nothing happens outside of God's good glory and end. Nothing happens outside of that purpose. These people are anxious about Paul's health and wellness. They know about these various troubles, and they're weighed down with concern for him. Wouldn't any of you, friend, be concerned if this were me or someone in this church, if this were happening to one of us? Of course we would. We would be anxious and afraid and concerned about the wellness of our dear friend or leader. So these Philippians are afraid for this reason, but he reminds them that these things have a purpose. That even great trouble and even great injustice in our lives has a purpose. That our good Father is working these events to accomplish something worth more than our comfort or freedom. Do you believe that? Or are you mad at God for where he's brought you? <clears throat> Dr. Robertson said this, wonderful Greek scholar, lived about 100 years ago. He said, it would be a dreary world if one could not believe that God cares for his people and overrules the evils of life for the progress of man and of men. God overrules evil and redeems through it. The evil of the crucifixion was the means by which we have been saved. Incredible. 
continue this, this idea. One factor in reality had controlled the past. It is something that is always true for every believer. For in each and every case, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. No matter where you've ended up, God rules. The pressures of life are the hands of the potter who is also our father. The fires of life are those of the refiner. Amen? He is never out of control. There is never interruption to his plan or purpose. What has happened to us has actually served to advance the gospel. So in this we rejoice. Has he said it? Like it says in the book of Numbers, has he said and he will not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? Is God somehow less in control because of an injustice or because of a tearing or a breaking or a hurt? What has happened to me has actually, has actually. What is your actually? How do you finish that sentence? And please don't be tempted to cliche this. You know, when God opens a door, when God closes a door, he opens a window. What does that mean? What do we oftentimes mean by that? Well, I think sometimes what we mean by that is, for example, you know, I lost my job, but God has actually, what has happened to me has actually led me to a better one. Friends, this is not at all the point or the power of Paul's peace, joy, and hope. It can't be. Don't you know that at times when you lose your job, you get a worse one? Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. Not this job. <laughs> wink um god's moving and providing for us is not material he doesn't promise us a larger pile of money when we lose our smaller pile of money he doesn't promise us a bigger house when our smaller one burns down oftentimes that's not the case oftentimes the opposite happens so what does that invite us to misery and anger and god you've disappointed me no because friends there's a Beulah land, if you ever heard that expression. There is the day of Christ awaiting for us. We are adopted children of God. The point of our life is not the stuff that we get in time. It's eternity to come. It's the life of the kingdom in our hearts right now. We get Jesus. And he is better. So lose it gladly. Lose it with great rejoicing. Because as much as you lose in this life, it will not be compared to what you have gained in Jesus Christ right now and in the life to come. Amen? Amen. Oh, friend, if you are miserable, it's because you don't believe that. It's because you've believed something else. You believe another gospel. His provision is him. And if you don't believe that, until you get what you want, you'll only use him. What has happened to me is actually open the door to wealth or fame or health. No, friend, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And I think Paul meant two things by that. Advancing the gospel in his own experience and also around him. So in other words, advancing the gospel in his heart, in his life. What has happened to me has shown me 
that Jesus Christ is the prize. He is the pearl of great price, right? He is the treasure uh, hidden in the field. And though we mourn when we loss and we grieve injustice, we grieve not at those, as those without hope. So let's look at his present. That was his past. Certainly a lot had happened to him. Verses 13 through 18 describe his present. So such as is his past, what about the present circumstance? Did it get better? Did God give him a better job compared to the one he lost? He was going through suffering before. Is he, is he as happy as a clam now with all the money and prosperity? Absolutely not. Because of what, of what happened to Paul, there were some good things God had used for good. What happened to those around him, the first thing that happened to, the, to those around him, that it had become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that he was in chains for Christ. Did you see this? How do you think that happened? How did all of the prison guards know that Paul was a Christian and that he was there for Jesus Christ? It must have come from him. It must have come from Paul. And that just kind of tells me that he wasn't moping, that he wasn't angry, that he wasn't complaining, that he wasn't calling for the head of his, his opposers on a platter and decrying the injustice that had happened to him. It tells me that he was proclaiming Christ. It tells me that he didn't have an axe to grind. It tells me that he trusted fully and faithfully in the work of Christ and what he had been doing so that he wasn't bitter. And this created a testimony for those around him so that people knew the power of the gospel. And friend, you say like, oh, what a standard. I have failed in this. Well, so have I. This, I know this is hard. This is something he learned. This is something he grew, he became in his own life in Christ, in his growth in Christ. So don't be deterred. Don't be discouraged. What's available to him is available to us. How angry or desperate or bitter or terrified we might become if we were put in this sort of place in our lives. I'm putting lesser... How many people in this room have gone through lesser insults and injury and dealt with it far worse. <laughs> Both hands. <laughs> and isn't it true that we often miss opportunities in the sufferings of life to make Christ known because we're just so consumed with the misery of the situation? Forget suffering. Some of us are just grumpy. <laughs> we're not even going through anything. And we're grumpy. You, you, do you know uh, Mr. Grumpledump's song? Have you heard this? By Shel Silverstein? Everything's wrong. Everything's wrong. Days are too long. They are too long. That's true. Sunshine's too hot. Wind is too strong. Clouds are too fluffy. Those fluffy clouds. Grass is too green. Ground is too dusty. Sheets are too clean. Stars are too twinkly. They are too twinkly. Moon is too high. Water's too drippy. Sand is too dry. Rocks are too heavy. Feathers are too light. Kids are too noisy. Shoes are too light. Folks are too happy singing their songs. Why can't they see it? Everything's wrong. <laughs> we can be grumpy. We can be grumble dumps. Just in the daily life where nothing is even causing our own personal suffering. But we can be grumps. Now imagine, turn up the heat. Turn up injustice. 
turn up loss and turn up injury. And what do we turn into? Oh, sorry and miserable and bitter. But Paul, not Paul, any person that should have had the right to be self-consumed or grumpy or angry, I think it would have been him, but he used this bleak situation to advance the gospel. Do we use the bleak situations in our life to advance the gospel, to demonstrate that Jesus is king and that he is coming soon? Now, mind you, you say, proclaim the gospel. You don't know my life. Well, Paul was chained up to a prison cell, and he still had an audience. Friend, are you tied to a desk? Are you stuck at home with kids in a sink full of dirty dishes? Or maybe you're on a sick bed, tied to that bed. Well, if you're here, you're probably not, but... You know that you can proclaim Christ with those that you meet at that desk and the children that you meet at that sink and the doctors that you meet at that bed? You know that you can do that, that all, you know, all the prison guard know that I'm here because of my, my faith in Jesus Christ? Well, can't all the nurses know that you are there because of your faith in Jesus Christ? Can't your children know this? Can't your coworkers know this? Friend, you have an opportunity where you're at to proclaim Jesus. Every single one of us. And that is our opportunity. Whether we find ourselves in great trouble or great triumph, that is our call and that is our duty and mission as Christians. But there was something else that happened in Paul's present because of his chains. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, isn't this astounding? Paul wasn't making loads of money. Paul wasn't being applauded. Paul wasn't put up on stage for the world to see as a mighty man. He was being persecuted. He was being injured. He was in prison, and somehow his boldness and his faith inspired the courage of the church. And friends, this is absolutely what can happen to us when we have faith amidst the pressures of life. It is inspirational to those around us. To a church who is afraid or tired or sick of it or fed up, with the troubles that we face, when someone stands with joy and courage and faith and proclaims Jesus without fear, it sort of kicks us back into coherence. It inspires us. It moves us. Let's pray to be those kinds of leaders in the Christian life. And if for some reason we're just weighed down or bogged down over the heaviness of life, let's pray for God to send us those leaders to help lift the burden. So let us be moved to be this kind of, isn't it? Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel with fear. Did you see that word most? That kind of sort of implies that some of them weren't. Some of them continued to be grumple dumps. (laughs) And friend, where will you move to in your Christian life? What will we be? Will we be the actually Christians or the grumple dump Christians? 
Third, in every way, whether from false... This is something else that happened to Paul. In every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Did you notice in our text of Scripture that there was a group of Christian leaders, part of this group who were inspired to proclaim the gospel because Paul was imprisoned, were doing it to hurt him. So not only was the government, secular society going after Paul, the church was. People in the church, people he called brother and sister, were trying to injure him, even add insult to injury. Maybe they were jealous of him. Maybe they wanted glory and now he's in prison. They could get it. Their motives were corrupt. Their preaching was in vain. They were selfish. And I don't know about you, but I don't know that I've ever met any church member or leader that did anything like that, right? Of course we have. Friends, I've done it. I've, I've jealously bid for attention by teaching Bible studies. I've done this. I've done it for, not, not for Christ's glory and for his name and fame, but because I wanted to be looked at. I wanted to be admired. Friends, I think we all have suffered with this. We've done it. We've been injured by it ourselves. So what does Paul do with it? Paul now is in prison. He sees this happening to him. And what does he do with it? He doesn't even really deal with it. He says, Christ is being proclaimed rejoice. He knows something very, very true about life is that it is impossible to prevent everybody from sinning. But he also knows this, that Jesus Christ is Lord of the church. He can use rocks, he can use sinners, and he can use the righteous. He is king, he rules, and he'll right all of those injustices in the end. So he continues to rejoice. These Christian troublemakers, preachers with false motives trying to make trouble for him because of their own agenda, He doesn't focus on the personal insult, but rather that Christ had been proclaimed. And this really should round out our expectation of Christian leaders. They can lose their way. That's not to excuse it. When they do, they need to repent and confess that 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 happened. But they can too be the prey of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And we, we, we shouldn't be so surprised when it happens. We need, rather than focus on the weakness of the flesh, Paul reminds his church, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Jesus will repay my injustice when he returns. He knew this and believed it and rejoiced in it. What What the apostle is really saying here is, quote, the principle that he sees as governing all of history and which has governed his own immediate past, must be put to work in making our present decisions. That principle is that God directs directs his government of his people towards the day of Christ's glory. Now, if you missed what that meant, let me just say it more simply in my own words. God uses all events in life, even evil, to advance the gospel. And our daily focus is to pay attention to those events so that we can make choices to proclaim Christ in them. And it shouldn't depend on whether those events are good or bad. We use them to proclaim Christ because Christ is all in all and his day is coming.
quickly. So now Paul turns to his future, verses 19 through 26. He knew, as we all do, that the future will hold either life or death. Now we all know this, right? We know that in two weeks, something could happen to us. Our life is but a vapor. Our lives, our lives are fragile. So in two weeks from now, I could be living high on the hog, or I could be on a deathbed. We know that. We all know. Everybody knows that. So Paul knew, as we all do, that the future is uncertain. It can bring life or death, triumph or trial. And we, we're all awakened to the certainty of that. I don't think many of us kind of live in the fear of some awful event. We, we sort of suspect that life is going to be somewhat good and we're going to die old. Right? But we know, if we're logically honest, that something could happen. And Paul knew this too. How he interpreted his past was the same way he interpreted his future. Are you afraid of the future? Something won't happen to you that you want to happen? You, don't, you won't make it? You won't get the job? You won't get the girl or the guy? You won't be married or single? How he looked at the future was how he interpreted his past, and it's so important. This, again, was the unifying principle, the governing interest of his life. He says in verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, again, he says this again, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Wow. Let's just stop there a second. What does he mean? Does he mean that one, like he's, he is certain that he'll be let out of jail? He is certain that the, the gates will fly open one day and he'll be released and free to travel Europe proclaiming the gospel and building churches? That was kind of his initial idea. He wanted to go to Spain. Now he's in Rome in prison. So he says, you know, in spite of all these things that happen to me, I am certain it will turn out to my deliverance. And you know that there's a theology today, a doctrine today, that says if you just visualize a positive thing, material thing happening to you in your life, you'll get it. That that's God's will for your life. For you to have the things that you want. So let's see what Paul meant. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Deliverance for Paul was not deliverance from trial. It was the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Paul had determined that Christ would be exalted in his body. That was his deliverance. And it mattered not if he was freed or if he was, or if he was killed, but that Christ would be exalted. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Friend, is your deliverance Christ? Or does Christ deliver you from problems? You see what I mean? Is your deliverance, is your freedom, is your joy Jesus? Or do you use Jesus to get you to where you want to be in life? Oh, friend, for me, for Paul, to live is Christ. It's not to live as money, 
to live as marriage, to live as Christ. Jesus announced this, didn't he? Not my will, but thy will be done. We have desires in life, but thy will be done. The kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. Are you okay if God says no to you about something that you want and he says no for the rest of your life? Can you see that in it, perhaps, God has brought that to you, a thorn in the flesh, a trial or trouble, so that the gospel might advance? So Paul's posture in life was that whatever the future might hold, Christ, Christ would be honored in his body. And that was his joy. That was his cause of rejoicing. That was the source of his courage and hope. That was the assurance of his deliverance. The day of Christ, the life to come. To die is gain. We just lost Brother Tom. And friends, he is more alive today than he ever was here. So we mourn him and we miss him and we grieve him. But friends, to die is gain. (laughs) So Paul's job then in life, our job, to be an imitator of Jesus. We're not to carry around a picture of him in our wallet and whip it out every now and then if someone asks us who who we are and what our faith is. We are to demonstrate all of Jesus in all of our lives, in all of our body. To be an imitator, a little Jesus in this world. To put him on display in our own bodies, in our own being. Let me, let me um, finish with this, this quote from this fine author. He says, Our faith in the Father of the Lord Jesus is such that we know that all things are working towards the day of Christ whether they seem so or not. (laughs) Our Lord is the key of all history and of personal history. And And he must be made the deciding factor in every Christian choice. Very, very profound. Let's consider the hymn of Puritan Richard Baxter, The Covenant and Confidence of Faith. Lord, it belongs not to my care whether I die or live. To love and serve thee is my share, and this thy grace must give. In life, if life be long, I will be glad that I may long obey. If short, yet why should I be sad to soar to endless day? Christ leads me through no darker rooms than he went through before. He that unto God's kingdom comes must enter by this door. Come, Lord, when grace has made me meet, thy blessed face to see. For if thy work on earth be sweet, what will thy glory be? Then, shall I end my sad complaints, my grumple dumps, and weary sinful, it doesn't say that, (laughs) and weary sinful days, and join with the the triumphant saints to sing Jehovah's praise. My knowledge of that life is small, the eye of faith is dim, but tis enough that Christ knows all, and I will be with him.
Amen? Friend, if you don't know Christ this morning, he offers you everlasting life and reconciliation with your creator. Would you come to him by repentance and faith this morning? Let's join me in prayer, please. God, how we give you great praise for your great love for us. Lord, that all of the happenings of our lives, we can see opportunity to advance the gospel. So God, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would hope in the life to come and the kingdom that is present now. I pray, Lord, that um, we would not be bitter, that we would not be angry, that we would not be jealous. And God, that you would give us the courage to proclaim Christ no matter where we find ourselves in life, for to live is Christ, to die is gain. I pray, God, that if anyone here doesn't know you in a saving way, friend, God is holy. He made you for relationship with him. And all of us, every single one of us, worshiped other gods, dumb gods, broken cisterns that hold no water. We've turned from him, sinned against him. And because of this, oh, friend, God is angry. And his just judgment is reserved for anyone who remains in their sin. But his gracious love that he provided when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, was for sinners like us. That when we trust in him, all of the angry wrath and just judgment of God is put on Jesus instead of the sinner. So come to him, trust him. Turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's free, come and get it. God, we love you, and as we turn our thoughts and our attention to um, this most holy supper, we thank you, God, as we take communion as a church, that your body was broken for us and that your blood was shed for us. Lord, that we all know that it should have been our bodies and our, our blood that was shed, but instead it was your son, Jesus. And God, for every believer in this room, we take the time now to confess our sin to you, to not take the supper in an unworthy manner. And if you're not a Christian, there's something more important for you. I, I ask you to sit this out. This is a uniquely Christian ceremony. If you're not a Christian, there's something much more important for you to be doing. Would you just stay in your seat and seek God, cry out to him, ask himself, ask, ask him to reveal himself to you. And for the rest of us who name the name of Jesus Christ, God, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you that in Christ there is a life to come, there is a life now, that there is hope and victory. I pray, God, that we would be reminded of of what Jesus said. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Oh God, help us to drink and to eat the gospel. How we need to remember it. It is our anchor. It is our compass. It is our only hope.